Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you today. How's everybody doing today? You guys doing all right? That's good. A couple of you are awake now. That's good. Let me ask that question one more time. How y'all doing today? Because you look way better than you sounded just a second ago, and that's really, really good. Well, I'm so glad to see you today. My name is Chad, and I'm one of the pastors here at, at, at the Tulsa campus of First Baptist Owasso here at Calvary, and I'm so thankful that we get to be together today. And I want to invite you to do a couple of things real quick. If you have your phone with you, you could actually pull that out right now, and you could open up our church app, and you could go to the passage of Scripture that we're going to be reading in just a moment. If you've not downloaded that app yet, it's really simple. You could go to your, uh, to your app store store, whatever version of the app store that you have, or the Google Play store. You could search for First Baptist Owasso. You could find it and download it there. There's all, kind of great, all kinds of great information about the church there, as well as a Bible that you can read there as well. So we'd love to invite you to do that. Or you could just go to fbcowasso.org forward slash church app, and that'll take you to a link that'll get you there as well. But once you get that open, whether you're using your app or you're using the U version of the Bible, or like me, if you've got a paper copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to turn to First Peter chapter two today. First Peter chapter two is where we're going to be today, and I'm just uh, I'm excited about this passage of Scripture today. I always love it when we have an opportunity to be together and talk about God's Word, and I'm grateful for those who led worship today. That was a great job. Can we just celebrate them today and just say thank you to them for that? That is awesome. We've been in a series for the past several re- weeks, really since we came back on campus, and the name of the series is Together in a Changing World, and the idea is what does it mean for us as a church? What does it mean for us to be the church and, to, and both together, face-to-face, and to be together in a changing world? And actually, inside that app, you'll find sermon notes there. If you go to Engage and Sermon Notes, Calvary, you'll find sermon notes there, the very first note that you'll see is that your life with Christ is incomplete without a connected relationship to his church. So before we even get into scripture, just to remind us of where we've been and what we've been discussing over the past several weeks, your life with Christ is incomplete without a connected relationship to his church. And the idea isn't that we have to all be in the same room in order to have a connected relationship with one another. We can do it online. We can do it in one room. Actually, our church does it in two rooms simultaneously. And now we're not just doing it in two rooms. We're also doing it in two different languages, and I'm so excited about that and what that future God has for us may be as we figure out what does it mean for us to be together in a changing world. And I hope that today that you'll remain engaged, whether you're listening online, whether you're watching online, if you're in this room right now, I hope that you'll remain fully engaged in this moment of Bible study, in this moment where we're taking a look at God's Word, because I know it's fully possible for us to be looking eye-to-eye, face-to-face with one another, but to be totally tuned out to what's actually being said, just like it's easy when you're watching or listening online to have that playing, have a sermon or a song playing in the background, and you're not really thinking about the content. I hope that when you come to worship, that when we worship together, whether it's in this place or online, I hope that you'll remain fully engaged, not with simply the sound of my voice, because I know I have these dulcet tones, right, that everybody loves to listen to. If you happen to fall asleep, I fully understand. No, I'm just teasing. Um, but, uh, but, but here's the thing. I, I hope that, that, we'll stay, that we'll remain fully engaged because what we're about to look at is the Word of God. You have an opportunity today, not simply to hear some great music and to hear somebody like me talk. You have an opportunity to hear the voice of your Creator. 
You have an opportunity to hear a word from the one who made you, from the one who loves you, from the one who picked you, from the one who picked you, and the one who paid a price for you. And so as we open up God's word today, we start with that idea that your life with Christ is incomplete without a connected relationship to his church. But I hope that what we'll see today is that if we fully engage in the study of God's word, as we do that, that we will be able to hear his voice and hear what he has to say to us. And so as we take a look at 1 Peter chapter 2, before we open that up and do that, let's, let's pray together. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the men and women who are in this room and for the men and women who are, who, are, who are listening or watching online. I just pray that today you would help us all to be fully engaged with one another and with you. I pray that today you would speak to our hearts and that we would hear your voice. And so before I say the words, amen, I'd like for you as a congregation to just pray a prayer with me out loud. And the prayer is really simple. Say, dear Jesus, speak to my heart today. Say that with me. Dear Jesus, speak to my heart today. Yeah, that's great. In Jesus' name, Father, we pray this. Amen. Well, thank you so much. Like I said, 1 Peter chapter 2 is where we're going to be. And we, we have this practice in our church that when we, in the context of worship, read Scripture, we like to stand together in the honor of reading God's Word. And at the end of reading it, I'll say, this is the Word of the Lord. And then the congregation responds, praise be to God. So let me invite you to stand with me as we read, the, read God's Word together. We're in 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 9 through 12. And here's what they say. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Isn't that an incredible passage of Scripture? But you are a royal priesthood, a chosen people, a holy nation. I love what God says to us in this passage of Scripture. And it just reminds me of a principle that I see all throughout Scripture. And it's really the principle that I hope that you catch today. This is the one big idea. If you were to walk out from this message today, what's the one big thing that that I should be thinking about today? It's going to be this one idea that when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. That's that's the big idea for today, that when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. Now, I don't want to chase this rabbit too far, but yesterday there was a little athletic competition on television um, between the Sooners of OU and that other team from Texas. I don't know if anybody... uh, Uh, happened to see that or not, but there was this moment when my wife was about to completely lose her mind while we were watching that, uh, that, that, she's a Sooner fan, I don't know if you knew that or not, but she's a Sooner fan, and, and the reason why was because we had this great opportunity to win the game, and the kicker came out, and what is it that a kicker is supposed to do? Kick the ball. Where is he supposed to kick the ball? Through the uprights. 
He had one job, and he missed it. And the game turned out all right. Anyway, we ended up winning, and that's wonderful, but that's really not the point. But if you think about this, imagine had the kicker come out and tried to be a defensive back in that moment. Imagine had the quarterback on either team just decided that I don't want to be a quarterback anymore. I just want to be a receiver. That's what I want to be. Imagine if, if, one of the, if one of the tackles, if one of the tackles on either team just decided, in this moment, I really would just like to be the water boy. <laughs> it just doesn't work that way, does it? When you know who you are, you'll know what to do, right? The kicker came out on the field to what? To kick. Now, he wasn't successful in that particular moment most of the time. Actually, he's got a great record. Most of the time, he's successful. Why? Because it's his job. He kicks. I'm a musician at heart. I, I play the piano. I play the guitar. And you saw some great musicians today. And Caitlin, man, what a great job playing guitar. Imagine had Caitlin stepped out with that guitar and in the middle of a song just decided, I don't want to play guitar anymore. I want to be a drummer. And said, I'm going to use this instrument like you would use a drum. Whack! You know, it, it just wouldn't work, right? It wouldn't work. Because why? When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. In that moment, she was a guitar player. She was a worship leader. She was a singer. Rachel was playing keyboard. Aubrey was on the, on the cajon. They, were, they, they each had their role to fill, and they knew what their role was. And so as a result of it, they were able to make some beautiful music together. Isn't that how a team works? Isn't that how life works? Isn't that how your family works? Isn't that how a church works? When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. And I see it right here in the passage. Look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into this marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So the first thing he says right there, verse 9, but you are a chosen race. You are a chosen people. You are. You've been selected by God. If you're a believer in Christ, God has picked you. I love to watch movies, and one of the things I see from every movie I've ever watched is that it teaches this, this one principle about humanity, and that's that in our heart, everybody just wants to be picked, right? We just all want to be picked for something. And I think God built that desire into our hearts because I think God takes great delight in picking you. I think he takes great delight in selecting you. We are a chosen people. You've been selected by God for something significant. Now, I can tell you right now, as I look out across our congregation, that there's some of you that are going to have a really hard time believing this when I say it. And here's one of the reasons why. I often refer to God as my heavenly father. I, I refer to him that way. And it's been my privilege to refer to him that way for my entire life. And I do that because I had a dad that was worthy of honor and respect. I was able to look up to my dad. And in my dad, I saw a picture of what a gracious, godly man looks like. And so it was easy for me to look to God and think of him as a heavenly father because I had an incredible example 
of an earthly father. But I know that's not true for everyone. I've been blessed like that. That's, that may not be true for you. It may be hard for you to see God as a good God because you have a hard time seeing your earthly father as a good father. It may be that your father abandoned you when you were young. It may be that your father stayed and in his staying hurt you more than you could possibly imagine. And so it's difficult for you to see in any context how God could possibly be a good God because you've never experienced a father on earth. How could he possibly be a a good heavenly father because you've never experienced a good moment with your earthly father? Well, let me tell you what God does. First off, he's way bigger than the picture you have of your earthly father. He's way, and, and, and grace is such this remarkable thing that he can take these years that have, been, that have been ruined by poor decisions or by abandonment, he can take all of those things and he can restore them and he can make them something more. But let me tell you what your heavenly father has done for you. He's not your heavenly father because of biology. He's your heavenly father because of adoption. He's your heavenly father because of all the people in all of history that he could have possibly looked down and said, I want that one. If you're a follower of Christ, you're his because he picked you. Look with me at Romans chapter, it's Romans chapter 8 is where I want us to go. Romans chapter 8 for just a second. And just listen to this. Romans chapter 8, it's such a beautiful passage. Romans chapter 8 verses 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. When the Bible in in 1 Peter chapter 2, when it says that we are a chosen people, the reason we are a chosen people is because God has chosen to adopt you into his family. And I don't care how good or how bad your earthly father was. Your heavenly father is perfect and he loves you with an everlasting love. And he has grace for you that is sufficient in ways that go far beyond our imagination or our understanding. And he's offered it all to you as children and heirs of his kingdom. You've been adopted into his family. That's another thing about my dad. Some of you have heard me talk about this before, but my dad was adopted when he was a baby. And it's just such a remarkable story. I'm not going to tell you the entire story, but here's this woman who's a teenage, she's a teenage teenage girl, and they have this shotgun wedding, and the wedding, they, they were married for all of a week, and then she moves to Oklahoma City to hide the fact that she's pregnant. It's 1937, 1938. What else do you do in that time? Because there's just no place to go, and it's just such a shameful thing to be pregnant outside of marriage in 1937, 1938. And here she is in this very tragic moment, and she makes this very noble decision to put her child up for adoption. And my dad was adopted by the man and woman that I think of as my grandparents, Oval and, and Winnie Balthrop are, are my grandparents. That's, that, that was my dad's adoptive parents. Those are the only grandparents I ever knew. And on the day he was adopted as a little baby, his name changed forever. It changed from Harley Jean, which is what it was supposed to be, to Charles Edward Balthrop. And he was named Charles Edward Balthrop because his adoptive father was Oval Edward Balthrop. And now, at the point that I'm born, he's named me Chad Edward Balthrop. 
And now I have a son. He has a grandson named Cademan Edward Balthrop. I don't know if that tradition will continue or not, but my dad's future changed forever when Oval and Winnie, in the middle of this tragedy, both a tragic moment for them and for his biological mom, when they made this decision to choose a child and to adopt them into their family. His inheritance changed. His name changed. His future changed. I don't know that I would be here today, or my brother, or my kids. I don't know if we would be here today if they hadn't made that decision to pick Charles like they did. You see, that's exactly what your Heavenly Father has done for you. I don't know what you feel about yourself or what you think about your earthly father, but you have a heavenly father who desires to adopt you into his family. He longs to pick you. And in that moment that you realize you are his child, when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. And in that moment, you'll recognize that you're loved with that everlasting love. And, 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 and the grace that you've received has freed you from your sin and has made it so that you can have a right relationship with God and a strong relationship with people. Why? Because you've been adopted as one of his children. But that's not where uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 stops. It says not only are you a, a, a chosen race, it also says you're a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. It means that we've inherited the family business. So not only did my, dad, did my dad's name change, he received an inheritance from my adoptive grandparents when, when he was adopted. His name changed, his future changed, all of those things changed because he was adopted. Your, your future can change when you recognize you've been adopted by God. But it's bigger than that. There is this family purpose that God gave to the children of Israel, a royal priesthood is what he calls them. Now, way back with Abraham, Abraham was the father of all the Jewish people. He was the father of all the Israelites. And way back with him, God starts making this statement. He says, Abraham, here's this covenant that I'm going to make with you. And I would encourage you to look up covenants inside scripture. There are several of them. One of them is the Abrahamic covenant. And we're going to look not at that one, but we're going to look at one called the Mosaic covenant in just a second. But God made these promises. And, and the essence of these promises is essentially this. All of them have this one thing in common. He's essentially saying, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. I've chosen you for this purpose. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. And here's what I want you to do. I'm going to make you a nation of priests and priest to the nations. He's saying that to Abraham. He said it to Moses. He said it to David. He said some variation of that in all of the different covenants. And it's just really interesting. What does it mean to be a nation of priests and priest to the nations? Well, it means God said, I want this nation to be the nation that tells the world who I am and what I want for them. I want you to be the nation that shows them the grace and the love and the mercy of God. I want you to be the one that people, when they walk in the room, I want them to be able to see who I am through you. I want you to be the people who when you walk through a room, grace follows after. And when you step into a situation, no matter how chaotic and conflicted the situation is, because you're in the room and you represent me, God says, I want there to become a kind of peace that's unexplainable. I want there to be a kind of wisdom that could only be described as wisdom that's from God. I want there to be this moment when people look up and they stop and they think, I don't know that I fully understand their religion. And I don't know that I fully understand why they go to church. But when they walk into the room, things are different. And things are better. 
You see, that's the, that's the mission that God gave to the children of Israel. Turn all the way back with me to the book of Exodus. Exodus is where we're going to go. Turn to Exodus chapter, it's Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. And this is God speaking with Moses. This is one of those covenants. Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. He says this, he says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. You're a chosen people. You've been adopted as a believer in Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, you've been adopted into his family. You have a good, good heavenly father who loves you with an everlasting love. But bigger than that, you've inherited, you've, you've inherited the family business. The family business that we would be the people that would represent Christ to the nations, that we would be the people in our homes, with our friends, in our schools, on the football fields, on the ball fields, in our hobbies, wherever we go, that we would be the ones that when people see us, they see clearly what it means to be a follower of Christ. And they are intrigued by this idea that this is someone, they act like they know God. Why? Well, because we do. We've inherited the family business from the children of Israel. That's part of our inheritance, to be able to walk and talk and speak the love of Christ everywhere that we go. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's take a look back there one more time. There's a third thing he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's the third thing that he says. You're a royal, you're a royal priesthood, you're a chosen generation, but you're also a holy nation. You're a holy nation. God's done something in you and through you that can't possibly be explained because of you. Do you know what it means to be holy? It means to be set apart for a specific purpose. And it means there's actually multiple meanings to it. Mostly it means to be set apart because of God's purpose. But there's also an implication in there that you're set apart because of righteousness. The ability to do the right thing the right way for the right reason. Well, man, how many times do I get that wrong? <laughs> I get two out of three right periodically. I might do the right thing the right way or I might do the right thing for the right reason. But, but it's not righteous. It doesn't rise to the level of God's perfection if I don't get all three right every time. Holiness is that idea that you've been set apart for a specific purpose. And within that specific purpose, God is now empowering you to do the right thing the right way for the right reason. He's made it possible for you to follow him in a way that represents him well and isn't a mixed up, uh, ugly message of who Christ is. It's actually a picture perfect message of the love of God and the grace of who he is and what it is that he has for us. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. That idea that we're a holy people is this idea that we've been transformed by the grace of God to reflect his character. We've been transformed by the grace of God to reflect his character. And I can't say it loud enough or long enough, but that's who you are as a follower of Christ. When I say that idea, that phrase, that God wants to do something in you and through you that can't possibly be explained because of you. Was my dad adopted because he chose a family? Or was he adopted because a family chose him?
He was adopted because a family chose him. He was a baby. He couldn't make that choice on his own. God's, God's adopted you into his family. God's given you an incredible inheritance. You know what an inheritance is, right? An inheritance is something that someone else lived for and died for to provide for the future hope of somebody else. That's what an inheritance is. Someday I hope for my kids, that I can give them an inheritance, that it's a worthy inheritance. It's something that I've lived my life for, and they can't have it till I'm dead. Sorry, kids. You just can't have it till I'm gone. Um, but I've lived for it, and I've died for it, and now I've given it to the people I cherish the most in order to help secure a good and right and, and perfect future for them. That's exactly what God's done for you. He's, he's selected you by adopting you into his family as a good heavenly father. And then he's given you this inheritance that is something Jesus Christ lived for and died for so that he could give you a future and a hope. And then as he does that, his, his life, his heart, transforms your character in a way that reflects his and can't possibly be the result of you doing something good on your own. I had a friend who used to say, you know what you, you know, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to, I'm just going to turn over a new leaf, right? That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to turn over a new leaf. And then he realized every time he turned over a new leaf, he just found old dirt just underneath that new leaf. There's just old dirt there. He couldn't pick himself up by the bootstraps nearly enough because for whatever reason, he found that within him was something that constantly prevented him from doing the right thing the right way for the right reason. He couldn't possibly do it on his own. Why? Well, because that kind of transformation requires something outside of us. We won't find it inside of us. And the thing that is outside of us that needs to be in us is the Spirit of God doing that supernatural work that only God can do. That's what God does. He adopts you and he gives you this incredible purpose by giving you this incredible inheritance and then he gives you everything you need for life and godliness. So he's given you incredible purpose. He's given you incredible power. He's given you this incredible provision that enables you to be the one who would step into any circumstance and represent him well. To step into any conversation, to step into any moment and be able to be the one who looks to someone who feels lost and alone, who looks to someone who feels abused and left out. You can be the one who speaks words of life in that moment, because we are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, a holy people. You see, that's who God has designed this body of believers to be. Anyone who places their faith in Christ, this is what God has designed for you and for me. There's one last section to 1 Peter chapter 2 that I want us to check out, that I want us to see. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. And this is actually where, actually where this gets relatively um, personal and beyond the personal, it gets very practical. Um, what does it really look like? When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. What does it look like for me to, to do this in the context of my family? What does it look like for me to be this person in the context of my workplace with my boss or with my coworkers or with my clients? What does all that look like? Well, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, it tells you, it says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles 
to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may not see your good deeds. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, verse 12 is kind of the key there. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. You could actually say, keep your conduct among those people who don't believe in God, among those people who don't believe in Jesus, among those people who don't really understand this whole church thing that you do or this religious life that you have or this faith that you have. Keep your conduct among non-believers honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, well, that tells me something else. You're going to do all the right things all the right way sometimes, and there are still going to be people who are going to accuse you of things and, and try to ruin your reputation or try to speak against you because either they don't understand or they don't like you or they're enemies of God or they just don't fully understand what's going on, and so they say all those things. I had a friend who used to be able to, he used to say, we're called to live a life above reproach. We're called to live a life like this that's honorable among everyone, to live a life above reproach, but it's impossible to live a life that's above accusation because any idiot can hurl an accusation, right? Any, anybody at any time can throw an accusation at you. He's saying keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when the accusations come, they don't make sense to all who know your reputation. They don't make sense to everyone who knows you from your inside out, to everyone who's seen the way you operate, who's heard the words that you use, who's been a part of your life, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds. And not, it's not that they see your good deeds and suddenly you're justified. It's that they see your good deeds and they glorify God on the day of visitation. That you've now given them a reason to believe You've given them a reason to fully see who God is and what the possibilities are. It's, it's one of the things that I said last week or a couple of weeks ago as we were talking about the gospel and this idea that I've never seen anybody get argued into heaven where I'm like, boom, made a big theological point. Now suddenly they're a Jesus follower. That's typically not the way that works. Typically, it's a process of me loving them and telling them and showing them and helping them to see that, that God really does love them with an everlasting love, that he really does want to be their heavenly father, that he really has done something miraculous in my life that's transformed my life forever and can transform theirs too. There's another way and another passage of scripture that really more clearly defines the specific actions and activities of those people who are followers of Christ. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. That person who's adopted, that person who's received an inheritance, that person who's been transformed in their character. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. And I know we've been playing a little bit of back and forth in Scripture today, but man, isn't it good to be able to read God's Word and see what He has to say? Beginning in Romans chapter 12, one of the things that I think we miss as believers is we get caught up in our beliefs being so pure and our knowledge of God being so right that we get a kind of spiritual arrogance, right? We get this kind of spiritual arrogance where I'm right, you're wrong, I'm smart, you're dumb, I'm big, you're small. If you knew God like I knew God, you'd be as smart as I am, right? Sometimes we get this kind of theological, doctrinal, spiritual arrogance about us and it's far from attractive to anyone. And it's one of the things I see about Jesus that I just find to be really true is that Jesus, he was attractive to everyone. There weren't people, there were some Pharisees and Sadducees that as his ministry developed, they, they came against him and they, they hurled accusations at him that simply weren't true. 
But within the early pieces of his ministry and before they realized, oh, this man, this man is doing something that's tearing down our preconceived ideas, he was being spoken. People who were poor would speak to him. People who were rich felt comfortable with him. People who were social outcasts like lepers, they, they felt comfortable talking to Jesus. Jesus made people feel comfortable with themselves because he wasn't trying to prove how big he was. He was simply trying to prove how much He cared for them and loved them and was making a way for your salvation and for mine. And so I I guess the idea is if we're believers whose character has been transformed to reflect Christ, then we need to be those people that can express a genuine love or a genuine care for people. That needs to be who we are, that we would express a genuine care for people. Why can we do that? Well, because it doesn't matter how bad my earthly father was. I have a heavenly father who's perfect and who picked me. And it doesn't matter how little I actually have in my bank account or how, you know, the, how the condition of my home or the condition, because I have this inheritance, the Bible says, that's, that's, that's perfect and that's incorruptible. And, and it's an inheritance that's been given to me by God. And it's something that Jesus lived for and Jesus died for so that I might know the benefit of those things. I can express a genuine care for people because Christ has transformed my character to reflect his character. And now we get to Romans chapter 12, verse 9. And here's what it looks like to express genuine care for people. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. All I have to do is say the word politics or election. And we don't see much of our world leaders today trying to outdo one another in showing honor. Couldn't we be those people? Shouldn't we be those people? Verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Watch this. Bless those who persecute you. Have you ever felt persecuted? by someone in your family? Not because of your faith, but just been made to feel small because they feel like it's to their advantage to put you down. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought, to what, uh, give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. And in this moment today, I'd like to just invite everybody to bow your head and close your eyes. Because we're going to pray together and we have this opportunity to respond. And, and, and I want us to respond to this word of God that we've heard today. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. If you're someone that has been desperately seeking 
a heavenly father. He's here for you today. He wants to adopt you into his family. It happens because Jesus Christ died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And he did that to forgive us of our sins. He did that to make right what once we made wrong through our rebellion and through our brokenness. He wants to restore our relationships with God and our relationships with one another. And today, during this sermon, during this service, you can place your faith in Jesus Christ. You can become a part of his family. You can become someone who will receive his inheritance and someone whose character is transformed by his grace. And so today, during this invitation, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we're going to sing. We'll stand together. We'll sing. And I just want to invite you, after the service is over, I'll be right down front right now. You could come to me during the song if you wanted to and say, I want to know more about what it means to be adopted into the family of God. You can tell me that after the service is over. You could find anyone here who you you think is a regular here. You could find any one of those. You could find Misael. You could find Jonathan. Or you could find Kim. You could find Aaron. You could find Bruce. You could find any one of those people. Or Rachel. And you could say, I want to know more about what it means to be adopted into the family of God. And we would gladly talk to you and tell you about how you place your faith in Jesus Christ. Here's my hope for today. If you've ever sat quietly in a silent moment of sadness and just wished that someone would pick you. I hope today you'll realize it's possible someone has. And he is the creator of the universe who loves you like no one else ever has or ever will. Heavenly Father, I pray in this moment that you would speak to the hearts of people today that those who are lost would be found, that those you've adopted into your family would be revealed, that, that they would place their faith in you, that they would tell someone about it, that we would have this opportunity together to grow in our faith, in our wisdom, and our knowledge of who you are and what it means to do life together. Father, I pray that new, new believers would, would, would come to life today during this message. And I pray for those of us who are already believers, who are members of this church, that you would help us to walk in the truth of who we are, that we would recognize that who we are is defined by you and nothing more and nothing less, that we would recognize the goodness of our Heavenly Father, that we would represent you well in every space and every place that we go, and that we would live our lives completely for you. We love you, Father. We ask these things in Jesus' name.